Tuesday, September 27th, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hillen. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Mager, from Motley Fool Hidden Gems, Charlie Travers. Guys, good to see you. Thanks, nice. Chris. We will salute a consumer brand legend and talk about the future of a little company you may have heard of, a little company called Pepsi. Uh, but we will begin with Groupon. Uh, when we last left Groupon, this is like a soap opera. It's like it really is. It's like as the Groupon turns. When we last tuned into Groupon, uh, the on again, off again IPO was back on. Um, uh, some news has come out, however, that the, the company has had to update its statements to the SEC. Uh, Charlie, as you may know, in the initial statement, uh, Groupon said that their revenues for the first half of this year was one and a half billion. Uh, it's been updated. It turns out it's six hundred eighty-eight million. So uh, basically, <laughs> basically cut in half. Come a little short. Yeah. Um, what happened? Why? Why? Why are we cutting Groupon's revenues in half? Yeah. So anybody who gets the you know Groupon deals in their email knows that you know you'll sign up and you get uh, fifty dollars worth of food at a restaurant or a spa and you pay twenty-five bucks or something like that. And what Groupon was doing was booking the entire amount as revenue and including in that the amount they were supposed to split fifty-fifty with the vendor of <laughs> you know. Just, this seems basic, though. I mean, we've we, in this room, we've certainly made fun of that, you know, creative accounting gimmick, the ASCOI yeah. metric they were using, which they backtracked on. But this, I'm not an accountant, yeah. but this seems like accounting 101 stuff. It's it's a little like standing on your tippy toes, so you pretend you're taller than you yeah. really are. Joe, how does this happen? Well, this company's kind of out of control. I, I met a guy this summer who worked customer service over there, and he was like, yeah, I've been there for three months. I'm like the most veteran person in my department. It's That's just kind of a control. warning sign. I know. I was like, uh, and he's like, do you think I should buy the stock when we IPO? And I'm like, no, probably not. You should, <laughs> no. you should dump everything you've got right away. So where does this leave Groupon? I mean, one, do we think this company is, you know, with this drip, drip, drip of bad news, one after the other coming out, is this company now damaged to the point where it can no longer IPO? Or has so much bad news come out about it that it's now a much more conservative IPO waiting to happen? I wouldn't have thought their credibility problem could have got any worse. <laughs> and yet. And yet, here we are. Uh, you know, So the reason they were doing it is to make their sales look higher than what they were and then in turn have their stock uh, multiple come out higher. Um, because you know, I guess for some reason people price runaway growth stories based on sales and not actual things like profits and earnings. Uh, so if you look at the restated numbers for 09 and 010, the top line shrank, but the bottom line stayed uh, still massively negative, but the number didn't change. Uh, yeah, so I, I think the IPO, my guess, would be on ice, and they have some uh, reputational damage to fix. Joe? I think they're still going to have to roll forward with it from the buzzes that they need some capital. Also, I think that the story is probably only just going to get worse. Uh, there's a lot more competition coming online. And judging from some of the numbers, it looks like in markets where they've been there for a long time, they're starting to see a little bit of backtracking in terms of success. Like people are getting burned out on buying uh, daily deals and they're kind of inundated with options. So I think the smart thing, even though they've blown a lot of credibility, and rightly so, would be they should go ahead and take the sucker public as soon as they can, even though they'll take a dent. I think they're better off doing it now. Just whatever cash they can get from the IPO, just take it? Yeah. Charlie, we've seen certainly other internet 
companies IPO this year. Um, let's look back at a few of them. Uh, LinkedIn, which we talked about last week. Uh, Pandora, mm-hmm. uh, the music service. Uh, Zillow, the fabulously named real estate website. Uh, and Zipcar. Um, how are these four doing in, as public companies? I'd say the one that I am more worried about would be Pandora, even though I love it as a music listener. I you know, use it pretty much every day here at work. The problem is that this business just has no scale. And as you know, consumers move from desktops over to their mobile devices, the ad rates are much lower, and so that's going to hurt their revenue. And their royalty costs to the music labels go up as more people listen. So they're just not making any money, even though it's a you know they you can tell they're passionate about music and they provide a good service but they just can't make a business out of it. And Joe, of those four, is Pandora the one you're the most concerned about? Yeah, not that I'm really a fan of of any of them to be <laughs> honest, or where they're valued. The funny thing is, as a consumer, I think each of them is great, and I'm a regular user of all of them. Not that most people use Zillow regularly. I was going to say, but I'm searching for a house and I use the site and it's helpful. Uh, I don't think most of their business models make sense, and the valuations are wacky. I think LinkedIn's selling for 21 times sales, which is completely absurd. For perspective, the long-term historical average that stocks trade at against their earnings, not sales, but earnings, is 15. So 21 times sales is just wacky, crazy high, and just ultimately setting up investors to get to be very disappointed. Like. LinkedIn could do phenomenally well and grow sales at a torrid rate for many years, and you're still probably going to end up with a mediocre return. Charlie, you're a fan of Zipcard, the service, though, aren't you? I've, I've used it exclusively as my form of automobile transportation for coming up on two years. And it's it's a great kind of business. Uh, they're very passionate about providing you with an excellent customer experience. Uh, the customer service is fantastic. I find there's always cars there when I need it. And in their core markets, they are turning the corner. And out of these four companies, I do think they have a, a potential to have a wide moat business just from their installed base and you know trying to get as many people in as they uh, can before anybody else. They're up over about 600,000 users right now. So they've got a pretty good lead. I do like the business. Um, but that said, they really aren't making money either. Uh, so you really got to take the long view and hope they pull it out. It seems like uh, if Joe is to believe, if Joe is to be believed, um, we are going to see Groupon public sooner rather than later. Um, what's a private company that you would like to see public and and think could thrive in the public markets? Uh, the, the one I would go with would be uh, IKEA. They have over mm. 300 stores worldwide, and I say the uh, two in this area are always packed. You know, it's a good value uh, proposition they have, and it's kind of like Walmart but with taste. <laughs> Joe, what about you? I'll go with Chick-fil-A. A slow Strong group. choice. Yeah, well, I think these are both great ones I would both love to see public. Um, Chick-fil-A, um, slow growth story, great company culture, not focused on getting there quickly, great customer service, great food. And it's also a franchise model. I mean, they don't publish how much exactly, mm-hmm. but I would bet that the Kathy family that owns it does very, very well. And I don't think it'll go public. I think it'll stay in the family, at least in his Say if you have a college bowl game named after you, you're doing all right. Yes. Market Foolery, sponsored by Encore Insurance Services. For a free life insurance quote, visit smartterm.com or call toll-free 1-866-347-5748. They'll compare rates to help you save. It's a free quote. It's a free quote. So just check them out. Click on over to smartterm.com. Guys, last week, Arch West died at the age of 97. He was a marketing executive for Frito-Lay, but much more importantly, he was the creator of Doritos. 
He will be buried in Dallas where family and friends will throw Doritos chips into his grave before he's laid to rest. I swear to God that's true. (laughs) Um, More about Arch West and Doritos in a moment. But uh, first, Joe, let's talk about Frito-Lay. It is part of the Pepsi empire. This is a $99 billion company, and we've certainly seen other large companies this year making the decision to split off one of their divisions, spin it off into their own business. Is that a good move for Pepsi to look at Frito-Lay and say, we're going to spin this off and, un- you know, quote-unquote, unlock the value that way? Yeah, there's been some buzz around that with good reason. The Frito-Lay business is 26% of sales, but 42% of PepsiCo's overall profits. So that's the real cash cow, thanks to this man and his wonderful invention, the it Dorito. Really I don't think it makes sense to spin these off. This isn't like an S&P type situation or at uh, Standard & Poor's, I'm sorry, McGraw-Hill, where you have S&P and yep. you have a publishing business that there's no real synergy. Uh, here, PepsiCo has gone to great lengths to actually intertwine these two businesses, uh, sharing you know, executives across departments, cross-pollinating. They share overhead at the top. There's a lot of uh, synergy between purchasing and distribution. So I don't think there really is like a lot of hidden value here, and I, you know, I would love to find that, and I've kicked around the numbers, and I think PepsiCo could be interesting, but I don't know that you're going to get a lot of bang for your buck, and you might actually destroy value by taking these two apart. Yeah, I agree with Joe here. I mean, you could get a one-time windfall as a PepsiCo shareholder, but then you're basically left with the number two soda company in the world that doesn't really have great growth prospects. I, I don't think you sell off the crown jewels. I think you keep them in house. As a longtime shareholder of Coca-Cola stock, they're going to say Dorito eater. <laughs> I am also a longtime Dorito eater. Um, but as a Coke shareholder, there have been times in the past where I've looked at Pepsi's business model, really marrying the beverage division with the snack division, and go into the grocery store, and they've got half or, in some cases, the entire aisle filled up. And there have been times when I've thought, wow, I really feel like Coke needs to start placing some bets in the snack division. Um, Coke's a company you watch closely, Joe. What do you think? Yeah, I think Coke should stick to its knitting, which is selling sugar water and (laughs) doing that very well. It's a high-margin business. They do it extremely well, and they've been bringing in bottling capabilities, um, ultimately hoping to improve their point-of-sale experience and get products to market faster. And that's probably going to hurt their margins a little bit, but big picture, I think they should stay in their wheelhouse. I mean, Coke has been around forever, and they've had a lot of different phases. Like, there was a point where they owned Columbia Pictures. That's right. Hard to believe. <laughs> I, for, I forget that, about that. <laughs> hard to believe anyone thought that was a good move. Uh, but I would really... Didn't, they, didn't Coca-Cola own a railroad at one point? They've owned a lot of, <laughs> a lot of stuff. I, I would just love to see them stick to what they're good at, and hopefully their uh, poor experiences in the film business were enough to keep them disciplined. Charlie? I think I'm going to agree with Joe here for the second time in one show, which wow. might be Tired a record. You're agreeing with Joe. <laughs> I, I Just because Coke is incredibly dominant in the beverage space uh, doesn't mean it would be a slam dunk for them to come over into the snack aisle. They would have to acquire a lot of brands that would cost a lot of money, and it doesn't mean they're going to work out well for them. Uh, so stick to their knitting. So let's wrap up with, uh, again, a salute to Arch West. This is a guy... Um, 97 years old. Uh, According to reports I read this morning, he was still consulting for Frito-Lay, still testing different flavors of Doritos. Um, Marketing and sales guy who 
goes by uh, a, a road stand in the southwest in the 60s, tries this local vendor's uh, tortilla chip and thinks, you know, there's something there that I can improve upon. He invents Doritos in 1964. It's, you know, it sort of struggles at first. And then by 1970, it's the top-selling chip for Frito-Lay. Last year, 2010 global sales for Doritos, $5 billion. Um, this is something sold Not in bad. That's that Not is bad. because they're tasty. Uh, they are tasty. Sold in uh, twenty countries, um, and the flavors. My gosh, just looking up uh, online, all the different flavors. You've you know you've got the basics. You've got the old standby, the cool, cool ranch, all that sort of thing. But I mean, some of the flavors I pulled up online: uh, roasted turkey, seaweed. Uh, shrimp mayo, which apparently is a is a flavor in Japan. What, Charlie, what's what's the most exotic flavor Dorito you've ever had? I'm pretty traditional. I've just uh, you know I've, I've had a few of the you know the Cool Ranch, and they had um, like some a, like blazing hot one, and yeah. you know what I would actually like them to see, and in, in, you know for the masochists out there is the Ghost Pepper Dorito. What's no, ghost pepper? It's, That's it's hardcore. Hotter than a habanero. It, really? Yeah, it'd probably make you cry just sitting across the room from it. <laughs> I'd like to see that. Uh, Joe? I would love a fried chicken and waffle Dorito. <laughs> I, I had that thought in my mouth literally started watering. So well, if you're out there listening, please make it happen. Drop us an email, radio at fool.com. We want to know the most exotic flavor of Dorito you've encountered. Steak? Stadium nacho? I don't know how stadium nacho differs from regular nacho. I have dipped the Doritos and the cheese sauce that you can get in the chip aisle, and it's pretty good. <laughs> but if you can consolidate it into one chip, even better. <laughs> yeah, really. If you're just that lazy and it's like, oh, yeah. who wants to go through the trouble of actually dipping it in nacho cheese? So that's that's your uh, – if, if, if they can come up with a fried chicken and they waffle. They have a fried chicken. I just want the waffle in there too. And that's your Desert Island flavor? If you, like, if you only get one flavor for the rest of your life, oh, yeah. you're good with that? Oh, yeah. Charlie, you're plain. You just want the basic. Yeah. All right. A reminder that nominations for the 2011 Podcast Awards wrap up this week. So if you enjoy market foolery, please help us out. Nominate us in the business category. Just go to podcastawards.com and put market foolery down in the business category. Joe Mager, Charlie Travers. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.